right. Let's see what's next on the list. I've already taken out the trash, washed the dog, and painted the neighbor's house. You don't have anything to add this list. I'm doing lots. Hey there, Callie Mae. Oh, hey, Eddie. What are you up to? I'm just doing all these things on this to-do list. The Bible tells us to do good things for people, so I decided to make a little list of good things to do every day. Hmm. Yep. Hey, that's a good idea there, Callie Mae. Well, a bunch of us are going to go down to the runway and play some soccer. You want to come? I can't. I got too many things to do. First, I have to water some flowers, then I'm going to give baths to all the pets in the neighborhood. Hmm. Okay, have fun with that. We'll be at the airstrip if you want to join us. Bye. Busy, busy, busy. Oh, I have so much to do and little time to... Oh, oh no! I think I left the cookies in the oven. I gotta go check on them. Um. Hey there, Jasmine. Have you noticed Callie Mae's been acting a little stranger than normal these last few days? Oh my. Yesterday morning, she brought my mail to the front door with a plate of cookies and asked if she could give my goldfish a bath. <laughs> what is up with her? I don't know. She's definitely stranger than normal. But she was saying something about a bunch of good things. Yeah, yeah. Hey, guys, hey. hey. Playing soccer, huh? That's cool. You know, I used to play soccer fun games. Lots of fun. Love it. Well, I got a bunch of doing a bunch of less. A lot of time to do it in. I can't even talk. So, see y'all. Oh, uh, wait. Just a minute, Kelly Mae. You look terrible. How what? much sleep did you get last night? Sleep. 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 I have too many good things to do. I still have to paint a fence, clean Sally's chicken coop, change the oil in my dad's snow machine, save a baby seal, mend the cows on Mr. Hickory's farm, cut a quarter firewood, clean the airplanes out front, and rake some leaves, and mow the grass. Whoa! Slow down there, Turbo. I know. Why on earth are you trying to do all these good things? You're going to hurt yourself, you know. Oh my, Callie Mae. You need to take a break before your head explodes. No, no. I got to keep going. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, to let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. If I'm going to be a Christian, then I have to do lots of good deeds so that everybody will know I love God. Now, where was I? Let's see. Clean Mr. Hickory's firewood, milk my dad's snow machine, change the oil in Sally's chickens, cut the airplanes, and mow the baby seals. I got to go. Hmm. This doesn't look good, Jasmine. Wait, did she say she was going to cut the airplanes? Oh, I think so. And those poor chickens. How do you think she's been staying awake for these last three days? Well... I saw Minnie Pearl give uh-huh. her a bunch of soda pop a while back. I think the poor girl's on a caffeine high. Ooh. Hmm. You know, soda pop keeps you awake, but doesn't it also make you crash? Oh! Whoa. There you are! Thank goodness! I have so much to do. I need to shovel dirt, take some dogs for a walk, pick up rocks on the runway. Say, have you guys seen the chainsaw? 
Nope. I need to cut some trees or was it kill some bees? Oh, oh me. Anyway, I gotta go. So much to do in little time. Hey, do you guys have any Pepsi Cola? I think I. Oh my I think we've got to do something. Yep, I think you're right. Hey, Callie Mae, wake up. Wake up. Oh. Wake up! Huh, what? Oh. Where am I? Did I get the bees? Um. Callie hmm. Mae. What? Look at yourself. I'm looking. You need to get a grip, really. Yeah, I think you need to take a break, Callie Mae. What? But... What about Matthew chapter 5 verse 16? People have to see me doing good deeds so they'll know I'm a good Christian. Uh, and God needs to know I love him so then he'll love me. I need to find more Pepsi Cola so I can keep going. I think you've got this all wrong, Callie Mae. The good things we do don't amount to squat if you don't do them for the right reasons. People will know you're a Christian if you really love God and his people. John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You don't need to impress anybody by doing good deeds all the time. When you love people, you'll want to help them out. But doing good things won't make God love you any more than he already does. You know, you can't earn God's love. And you shouldn't do good things just to prove how good of a Christian you are. Huh. I never thought of it like that. You think I should stop washing everyone's pants for them? That's Um, probably a good idea. That would probably be a good idea. I think so, because you know what? Joe's iguana didn't really like that shampoo I was using. Mm, I wonder why. Okay, Callie Mae, let's go get you into your bed. All right, hey, say, you guys, you got any Pepsi Cola? No! While our children are leaving for Children's Church, would you stand with me? We've mentioned this, but we're glad that you're here today. Whether this is your first time or whether you've been here many times, we want to take just three or four minutes and fellowship a bit. As we sing this, you don't have to sing it. We want you to greet one another and welcome each other to the house of the Lord today. Would you do that? Oh, I love you with the love of the Lord. Yes, I love you with the love of the Lord. I can see in you the glory of my King. And I love you with the love of the Lord. Oh, I love you with the love of the Lord. Yes, I love you with the love.
taken a trip to Florida. And on our way home, we stopped by a roadside stand because I wanted an orange tree. 
So we stopped at a couple different one and got the prices, found out about what they were supposed to cost. And so I pulled over on the side of the road and we talked to the gentleman there. So I bought two orange trees. Now I said, I don't want just any orange trees. If it's just, if you say it's an orange tree and it's green, I won't know the difference. You could tell me any kind of tree and I wouldn't know the difference, but I want an orange tree and I don't want one that's just going to be green. I want one that'll grow oranges. He said, well, these trees will grow oranges. That's, that's why we grow them here. I said, okay, that's what I want. So I bought these two little orange trees home, bought them home four months ago, and they didn't look a lot different than they do now. However, over the last four months, something has happened to one of them that didn't happen to the other. This tree here has nothing on it. There's no oranges on it whatsoever. But this tree has four oranges on it, about the, about as big around as a nickel, I guess. Maybe that one is a dime. But it, it bloomed, it blossomed, it had flowers on it, and now it's got oranges on it. Now, I'm not a real bright fellow, okay? But I can tell that that's an orange tree now that it's got little oranges on it. I'm gonna tell on, I'm gonna tell on Joe. Joe, Joe came by this morning and walked here, walked up here and did something and walked back and when he got to the back he said, oh there's orange trees up there. I said, how did you know that? I thought he was like a really bright guy. He said, well I read it on the thing there. <laughs> but you know what? We're, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. For, I guess this is the fifth week now, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And the whole idea about the fruit of the Spirit is that you can recognize what kind of tree it is by the fruit that it has on it, right? So if there's no fruit on that one, I couldn't tell it from some of the stuff that's growing out in the woods in front of the house. It's just a little green tree to me. But I'm going to tell you, if I go over here and look at these little oranges, and I know that as they keep growing theoretically at least i don't know if they will these will but they'll grow bigger and they'll turn color they'll turn orange thank you and so you will know a tree the bible says by its fruit let's let's lock that away in our minds today you will know a tree by its fruit okay good so today we're going to be going in our Bibles and talking about, we'll, we'll go back to Galatians in a few moments and read that passage that has to do with the fruit of the Spirit. But we've talked about thus far love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness. And today we come to the fruit that is called goodness. Now I've got to tell you, I have learned so much this week. And, and having to, this was a challenging one because, I mean, what's goodness? Was being good. Well, yeah, thank you. That tell tells me a lot, doesn't it? So I, I knew there was some depth to this that I had never explored before. And I was just, as they say, blown away by what I found in Scripture and how really important this fruit is that we're talking about today. The topic of the day is goodness, the fruit of the Spirit, which is so vague in English that it's hard to define. It's kind of like the word love. You you hear people say, I love the smell of bacon. I love Dodge trucks. Or I love Chevys. Well, somebody else says, I love the television show America's Got Talent. And somebody else says, well, I love America. Somebody else says, well, I love Jesus. Now, surely love doesn't mean the same thing in all those situations. Do we love Jesus like we love a truck? 
No. Do we love Jesus like we love a TV show or the smell of bacon? Hardly. No. Well, goodness is another one of those words. It is so hard to define by the way we use it so freely. Sometimes we hear people say, um, were your children good yesterday? And you say, well, yeah, they were good. They sat in front of the TV all day and uh, kept themselves occupied. And if they weren't doing that, they were playing video games. They were out of my hair. Does that mean they were good all day? Because they sat in front of a TV all day. Uh, and we use, we just use the word so vaguely in so many different ways. So today we're going to try to, to give some meaning to that and understand it in a way perhaps that we haven't before. So if you'll bear with me for a few moments as I lay a foundation from the scripture about what being good means. We're going to see it from the word of God. It's going to help us, I think, appreciate more the importance of this fruit of the spirit that we're talking about. The Hebrew word for goodness, and we're saying Hebrew because that's what the Old Testament was written in, and that's where we're going to begin today. The Hebrew word is, and this will be an easy one for you, is the word tobe, T-O-B-E, tobe, that's how you pronounce it. It wasn't spelled T-O-B-E because they didn't have any T's, O's, B's, or E's. They had different letters, but this is the transliteration. The word was tobe. Instead of, we would say tube, T-U-B-E, this is T-O-B-E, tobe. Would you say it with me, tobe? I want everybody to understand what the word is that we're talking about. It's tobe. And in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the word tobe is translated good. Now, we don't have to search in the Bible very far before we see that. All you got to do is open to page one. Genesis chapter one. And we began reading there in verse 3 where the Bible says, the first time we read this word in the scripture is, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light that it was Tobe. It was what? Thank you. Number two, we get down to verse 9 where the Bible says that God created the dry land and the seas and caused all that to come together. And then in in that verse, verse 10, and God saw the land and the seas and God saw that it was Tobe. It was what? Number three, the third time in this chapter, God created the grass and the fruit trees whose seed was in itself so they could reproduce. And then in verse 12, the Bible says, and God saw that it was Tobe. Good. Then number four, uh, God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And then God saw that it was Tobe. It was what? He said, let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly. And then the Bible says for the fifth time now, and God saw that it was Tobe. It was what? I hope you're getting the idea of what Tobe means because I want to be able to use it and you associate it with its true meaning. And then the Bible says that God created the cattle and creeping things and beasts on the earth. And then um, on the sixth day now, and God saw that it was Tobe. It was what? 
But God is not through yet on the sixth day because then the Bible says in verse 26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And then the Bible says in verse 31, at the end of this chapter, then God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very tobe. It was very what? Very good. Everything God created was good. If you believe that, would you say amen? He wasn't, he wasn't fibbing. He wasn't exaggerating everything God did. He did perfectly everything God did. He did it well. Everything was, was a 10 on a scale of one to 10 or maybe an 11 even. He does things well. Everything he did was good. But then we read this sort of, um, well, quite honestly, maybe depressing story as we read through the rest of Genesis. Because I want to tell you now what the Bible says as we leave chapter 3 or leave chapter 1 where everything was good. Then we know that one day Adam and Eve sinned and ignored God's command. And then God said, this is not good. God didn't say that literally like he said it was very good. It was Tob in these situations. I don't see anywhere in this scripture where he said, now it's not Tob. But you can tell by what he did say that that's how he felt. To the serpent, God said, you're cursed. To the woman, God said, there will be consequences, great consequences because of your actions, Eve. To the man, God said, there will be consequences, Adam, for what you have done. And God's perfect creation and God's perfect order now were vanished, gone, contaminated, the Things weren't very tobe anymore because man had messed it up. How many of us know man can mess things up? Adam and Eve did that for us. And then as you continue through the book of Genesis, listen carefully, if you would, the things that took place. There was as a result of Adam and Eve's disobedience, which was not good. Then there was death which was not God's original plan, and it was not Tob. It was not good. And then there was murder, and murder's not Tob either, is it? Murder's not good. And then there was disobedience by man in other areas, and that was not good. And then the Bible says, Then the Lord God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Listen to that. Every imaginations of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. That's not good. The Lord is not pleased. The Lord is disappointed. What he has created Everything from the creation of the earth and now from the, the creation of man and what man is doing, how man is responding to the creator, how man is acting, the deeds that man is committing, the Lord says this is not good. Now this is just in the first book of the Bible. Just in Genesis alone we read all of this. So I'm going to hasten along now 
and turn to Psalm 14. And I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 3. Then I'm going to read a, a passage from Psalm 53, 1 through 3. And then I'm going to read a passage from Romans 3, verse 9. And you're going to see the same words in each passage. I would like to drive this home today. Chapter 14 of Psalm. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. And then the scripture makes this statement. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand if there are any who seek God, they have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. Now I'm going to turn to Psalm 53, beginning at verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity, and there is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. And then chapter 3 of Romans, I'm going to read what the scripture says there. And Paul uses this, and we begin in chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. Paul says, For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then if you go on down to uh, the same chapter in verse 23, we have that verse that all of us have learned. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen. It seems then to be a very sad situation indeed, does it not? From what a fall from grace that was. To live like Adam and Eve lived in the garden with perfect fellowship with God. To be sinless, righteous, and holy. Not a corrupt, corrupt bone in their body. Not even a corrupt cell in their body. Made in God's likeness and image. God said, this is very good. How long Adam and Eve continued in that state, none of us know. But we do know that at some point they got together and they deliberately disobeyed God and did something they weren't supposed to do. And it has plunged the whole human race since we all come from them into a state where the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. And all of us are sinners when we're born into this world. That is not the way that God intended it, is it? That was not God's will. That's not what he wanted. 
But understanding what man was going to do, the Bible says that there was a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. His name was Jesus. He was prophesied of in Genesis chapter 3, 15. So all the way through, God was preparing a way so that somebody could push the reset button. So that somebody could reboot this whole thing and give us a shot again. And his name was Jesus. One day Jesus came and makes the biggest difference in somebody's life that you can even imagine. And that's what I want to talk about today. Things, as we've explained them here in Scripture, there's none righteous, no, not one. We're all born into sin. It is a pathetic situation, one that leaves us hopeless if it were not for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not good, not good, not good. God is not happy that things have gone bad. He's not pleased that they're not good anymore. This wasn't his plan at all. But all the while, God set in motion through through Abraham and through Moses and through the giving of the law and the sacrifices of the Old Testament. He's preparing the way for this Savior to come who's going to make a difference in my life and yours if we will allow him to. Now, we can't bring about this transition ourselves, can we? We can't do it without Jesus. We can't bring about this change. We can't change our plight on our own. You see, that's what humanism is all about. Humanism says we can we can fix this if we'll all get together and try. We can't fix this problem. No president, no king, no leader, no politician, no political party has the answer for this mess that we're in. Could somebody say amen? We're messed up people. We have messed up lives. We have messed up families. We have messed up churches. We have a messed up country. And I'm sad to say we even have some who are, and I'm going to use this term loosely right now. I want you to understand that. Messed up Christians. Not everybody who proclaims to be a Christian can the Lord look at and say, I see goodness in them. Sometimes, even after we claim we're Christians and walking with the Lord, he can look at us and say, that's not Tobe. That's not good. Because of the behaviors, because of the things we are doing. Now, I will propose to you and myself today that if you were sick, if you were really sick, you would want a cure You would not want a placebo. True? Let me give you the definition of a placebo so we'll all be on the same page. You may remember that episode of Andy Griffith when the little woman wanted her pills. There was a new lady druggist and she wouldn't give him the pills. Barney wouldn't let her have the pills. She thought she was dying. All the while, she had been getting M&Ms all the time. Just sugar pills was all she was getting. As long as she took her pills, she thought she was fine. But when she couldn't get her pills because the new druggist came, she wouldn't give the pills. That's a placebo. A placebo is a pill or substance that is given to a patient like a drug, but that has no physical effect on the patient. A usually pharmacologically inert preparation means it can't do a thing for you. It's prescribed for the mental disorder or for the mental relief of the patient more than it is for the actual effect of a disorder. It's something that's intended to soothe. 
It's interesting to me that the original Latin for placebo was, I shall please. I'll give it to you to make you happy. It won't do you any good, but if you want it, you can have it. I'm going to tell you, when it comes to the sickness of sin, there's only one cure. Only one cure. The Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible teaches us concerning Jesus that he was born of a virgin. That he lived a sinless life. Was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was crucified on a cross. He died for you and me. He paid the price for your sins and mine. He was buried in a tomb. He rose up victorious, alive and well on the third day. He ascended into heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit to not just be with us, but to be in us, the Bible says. Ladies and gentlemen, I propose to you today that Jesus is not a placebo. Jesus is the cure for the things in this world that are not right. For the sin, for the malady that we have, that we're born with, that we have no choice about it. We can't do anything about it to to change that. We're born into sin. Which is why the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus comes to be the cure for that sin. Not a placebo. So God isn't playing games with us. He isn't playing mind games with us. He doesn't say one thing and then not deliver. He doesn't promise us victory over the devil and freedom from sin and then leave us powerless against the temptations of this world. True? A placebo does nothing but play with your mind and make you think you're better. A placebo can't help you, but a cure gets in there where the trouble is. And destroys the infection and kills the germs and eradicates the disease and brings health and healing. God has a cure for sin. Not a band-aid. He reaches down deep into the depths of your heart. And he washes it white as snow. He heals your mind and your body. You're justified. It's just as if you had never sinned. That's a miraculous thing. You're born again. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. And the Bible says, behold, all things have become what? Let's do that again. All things have passed away. And behold, all things have become what? New. You don't talk like you used to. You don't walk where you used to. Your life has been changed. You'll be different from now on. You're a child of God now. Listen, and there is no hold that Satan has on you that cannot be broken. None. Now, let me be real clear here because I hadn't got to the message yet. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Another old song says, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Sometimes our choir sings this song. It reaches to the highest mountain. 
It flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. I want you right here in the middle of the sermon to sing that with me. It reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley and it flows to the lowest valley. Oh, the blood that gives me strength from Sing that one more time. Sing it like you mean it. For it reaches to the highest mountain. And it flows to the lowest valley. gives me strength from day to day it will never lose let's sing that again it will never lose it will Listen, as bad as it was when things became not good, after sin entered this world, and and sin has its dominion over us, sin has captured us, sin has possessed us, if you will, before we come to Christ. As powerful as that force is, I'm going to tell you, it can't stand against the blood of Jesus. Think, I want you to think about the word power. The blood will never lose its power. Say it with me. The blood will never lose its The blood will never lose its One more time. The blood will never lose its It is not a placebo. It is something that will change your life. It is the cure for sin. Anybody can be saved. Anybody can be delivered. Anybody can live in victory because the blood will never lose its what? power now obviously satan does not like the blood of jesus satan does not like the gospel so if satan wanted to diminish god's work the christ the gospel if he wanted to discredit that minimize that weaken that attack that He would have two approaches, in my opinion. Number one, Satan would totally oppose the gospel. Does that make sense? And I'll give you three ways that I see that he's doing that. Number one, through false religions. Satan is opposing the gospel through false religions. Not not everybody who goes to a house of worship on Sunday is a Christian. 
There are people who worship Buddha. There are people who worship. You can tell I don't know much about them. I don't need to know much about them. I know they're placebos. It's a crutch. It's something that man has come up with. Devil has come up with to deceive us. False religions. Listen, Jesus didn't say, I am one of the ways and the truth and the life. Jesus said, I am the way. No man comes to the Father but by me, Jesus said. Now listen, that's why the world hates Christians. Because, I mean, we draw the line where it is, right? Salvation comes only through Jesus Christ. You can't get to God unless you come through Jesus. That's just the way it is, folks. I know the the news media wouldn't like to hear that. They would object to that. A lot of people don't like to hear that. But uh, my, my, my job this morning is not to tickle ears. My job is to tell you the truth. There's one way to God and it's through Jesus Christ. The devil doesn't like that. So he's got all kinds of false religions to try to take the place of Christ. Another way he opposes this is in atheism, trying to convince people that there is no God. And sadly, he's becoming more and more successful at doing that. And then evolutionism. I think one of the greatest dangers of evolutionism is this. If all of us descended from pond scum and a monkey... And we know when pond scum dries out and when monkeys die, that's the end of the pond scum and the monkey. So therefore, if we descended from them, there is no eternity for us. There is no afterlife for us when we die. It's just like if a dog or a cat dies. That's not the truth. We were created in the likeness and image of God. And there is a place somewhere where you and I are going to live after our bodies are put in the grave. We have to face an eternity somewhere. The devil wants to hide that fact, to to camouflage that fact, to try to discredit that fact. And I think that's where evolutionism comes in. But those are attempts by the devil to oppose the gospel. I'm not too worried about those for us because we are aware of that and we understand that the Bible is true and I would assume most everybody in here today are Bible believers. The second thing, however, that Satan does to try to counter the gospel is he manufactures a placebo. Now, a placebo is kind of like looking at these two trees. One of these trees has fruit. The other does not, but they're both trees, right? I could... I, I have seen medicines before. I, clear, I can understand why kids would eat them. Little children. It looks like M&M's. It looks like Tic Tacs. It looks like candy a lot of stuff does. And that's the way a placebo is. It looks good. It's a replacement though with no power at all. And that's what the devil is selling among the Christian community today. Is a brand of Christianity... That has no power at all. A gospel that doesn't change anything all at all. It simply gives false hope. 
A gospel that allows for sin. It allows for the continuation of the same lifestyle one had before they were, quote, converted. A promise of eternal life without obedience to the scripture. One in which, in many cases, promises salvation and heaven, no matter what one does or how one lives for the rest of their lives. That's a false gospel. Y'all are getting awful quiet. Just say these magic words. Repeat this special prayer and you're good to go. I'm going to tell you what, if you don't do more than that, you may be going somewhere you didn't think you were going. Because there's more to being saved and being converted by the blood of Jesus than just going through that and there being no change in your life. You see, we need a, we don't need a placebo, folks. We need a supernatural solution for our sin. Not the power of positive thinking. We can't think ourselves out of this mess. We can't feel ourselves out of what what has happened to mankind. People today seem to think that everything is acceptable. Everything is okay. Everything is permissible. Everything is allowable and still be pleasing to God. And I want to tell you before I even get started here, there's no way in creation that's true. Everything is not allowable to God. That's why there were 10 commandments. Some things are not allowable to God. Amen. He's not going to smile and say, well, bless your heart. It's okay. He's not going to do that. And I'm going to prove that to you from scripture now. Because God... When we come to the Lord and we're saved and the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from our sins, then the Lord wants us to become like this tree right here. Not like this tree. That tree has no fruit. But the Lord wants us to be like this tree. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness and long-suffering. And today we're talking about goodness. Now what does goodness mean? It means when the Lord looks at us, he sees things that are good, not things that are bad. I mean, we could talk about some little thing, little frivolous things like giving donuts to somebody or, or washing their windows for them or, or, you know, I mean, being kind, but no, we're talking today about being good. And I think we need to drill down and understand what that means because I'm going to tell you, that's what God expects. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter five. Which is where, incidentally, the fruit of the Spirit is is found in Scripture. But we're not going to read that initially. We're going to go back to that list of the works of the what? Flesh. Chapter 5. Turn with me in your Bible. Galatians 5, verse 16. Let's start there. The Apostle Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit... And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another. Now we're going to pick up at verse 19. We're going to understand what the works of the flesh are. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Just like the fruit of the spirit is evident. There's not a person in this room that couldn't come up here and look at these four oranges on this tree and recognize that they're oranges. They're little, they're small, 
They're tiny. They're just growing. But there's fruit. The Bible says the works of the flesh are evident. You can see them. Which are, may I add, not only can we see them, but God can see them. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Which are adultery, fornication, sexual immorality, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Now, here's the next part. It's the important part. Because Paul says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you heard me read that, would you say amen? I'm going to read that again. Now, we've read the works of the flesh. You see those things there. And then the Bible says, after that list is given, Paul says, I tell you something, just as I've told you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to tell you, no man, woman, boy, or girl has the right then to start doing some of these things and saying, it's okay with God. It doesn't matter. Because it does matter, doesn't it? Listen, if you, let's take adultery for instance. If you are committing adultery, you are an adulterer. If you are committing sexual immorality, fornication. If you are committing sexual immorality, you are guilty of fornication. If you... Hate somebody in your heart. You're guilty of that hatred. If you are lying. You're a liar. Right? The Bible says in another place that liars. All liars will have their place where? In a lake of fire. Now what I'm trying to help us understand is. There's a brand of Christianity out there that says, well, I know I'm committing adultery, but, but, but I'm a Christian and the Lord's forgiven me. Somewhere along the lines, you're going to have to make that job with the fact that the Bible says those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. My fear is that there are a lot of people, because some preacher has lied to them and told them they could do these things and still be a Christian, a lot of people are going to end up where they didn't think they were going because they believed somebody they had nobody believing. The Bible is very plain about some things. Let's, let's go to the next passage, which is Ephesians 5. It's another one of those New Testament lists, and there are many. Ephesians 5, we're going to begin at verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Be imitators of who? Who are we supposed to be imitating? 
Listen, people will say, oh, you can't live holy in this world. That's impossible. The Bible says, be ye holy for I am holy, says the Lord. We're supposed to live holy. We need to quit making excuses and believe the Bible. We need to quit accepting a placebo and depend on the blood of Jesus to accomplish in us what the Bible says is supposed to be there. Amen? Amen. So the Bible says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us and offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Do you think what Jesus did for us was easy or pleasant? No, it was not easy and it was not pleasant. He paid a price for my sin and yours. And he paid that price so that we wouldn't have to be guilty sinners, but that we could be forgiven. And also that he would give us the power through the Holy Spirit to live above sin and not under the dominion of sin any longer. So he says in verse 3, here it is again, but fornication, sexual immorality... And all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. It's inappropriate for those things to be named among you, he says. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know. I'm afraid a lot of Christians don't know this today. But he said to them, for this you know, that no fornicator, no unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And then he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't believe anything else. For because of these things that have been listed, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness. Sure, you used to do those things. You're all sinners, he says. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. What is acceptable to the Lord? The things that he says are. And what is not acceptable to the Lord? The things that he says are not. We've read several things. That simply are, it's not debatable, it's really not questionable. They are not acceptable with the Lord. If you believe that, would you say amen? amen. I mean, we, I'm, I'm almost, I'm almost preaching something that seems foreign to some. I, it looks, it appears, that I think, maybe I'm just being blinded by the light. Maybe that's what it is. It's like, I can't believe he's got the gall to say that. I, listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just delivering the message. It's God's message. It's been here for 2,000 years. Anybody can read it anytime they're willing to look at it. Amen? And so the scripture is going to say, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to begin reading at verse 17. Every, this is Jesus speaking here. Jesus said, every good tree bears what? Y'all help me out. If you got your Bibles open or if you know it. Every good tree bears 
but a bad tree bears. And you can look at the fruit. Now, if there was a banana hanging on that tree, I'd know it was a banana tree. It wasn't an orange tree. Whatever fruit's on it, I can tell what kind of tree it is. And Jesus said, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I ought to carry that sorry tree home and get my chainsaw out and cut that thing and throw it away. That tree ain't no good. Well, I'm going to give it a little while because it's a young tree. But you get the point. And the Bible says, therefore, by their fruits, you will know. What's he saying? Therefore, by their fruits, you'll know them. You can tell where a person is with God by their fruit. You can. Man, they can claim to be anything they want to claim. But listen, if they're, if they're adulterers, if they're fornicators, if they're liars, they're wasting their time trying to convince me they're right with God and on their way to heaven. That's, that doesn't take somebody with a PhD to figure that out, folks. And you don't go around pointing fingers and judging people, but in your heart and your mind, you know something ain't right. If you saw a great big cantaloupe hanging on that tree there, you'd know something was wrong. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Verse 21. With all the context that I've given you so far, I want you to think very soberly and listen very closely to the words of Jesus in context now. We've read it. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. And the very next words recorded are, Now, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many. Many will say to me in that day. Lord. Lord have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What a sad, sad picture. Many standing before the Lord, thinking that they were saved, thinking that they were Christians. But the Lord says, "Uh uh-uh. Somebody led you astray, bud. Matthew 25. I want to tell you the way the Lord deals with people. You know, we're living in a day when everybody gets a trophy, right? You know, when when Nathan was a little kid playing baseball, you didn't get a trophy unless you were the winning team. Now everybody gets a trophy. 
kid may strike out every time he goes to bat. Never had a hit all season, but he gets a trophy just like everybody does at the end of the season. Everybody gets a trophy. I'll tell you right now, God's not like that. Mm -mm. In Matthew chapter 25, the Lord is going to, he's teaching in a parable here, but he gives three examples of three different people who come before him. And he's going to offer judgment over what they have done, how they've lived, how successful they've been at following instructions and so forth. To the first in verse 22, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I want to hear that one day. Don't you? But I'm going to tell you one thing. Jesus doesn't lie. And he's not going to say good and faithful servant if you weren't a good and faithful servant. Amen. The second one comes and the Lord says to him, well done. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now this man hadn't done as much as the first one had done. But they were both recognized for their faithfulness. But then comes number three. You don't want to be number three. The Lord looked at him in verse 26 and said, You wicked and lazy servant. And verse 30 says that he cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May I remind us today that everywhere we go, everything we say, everything we do, Used to be a song many, many years ago. I remember hearing on the radio, when we get behind closed doors, you don't get behind closed doors with God. No such thing. He sees 24-7. And when he sees you, and when people see you and see your fruit, I just want to pose this question. Do they see goodness? When the Lord looks at you, does he see goodness? See, going back to the fruit of the Spirit, the Bible says that the Spirit of God wants to produce in us goodness. The Spirit of God can give us the power that we need to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. He gives us that strength and he gives us that power and he gives us that ability. The Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We need to quit making excuses about I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't quit this and I can't quit that. Because the Bible says the spirit of the Lord dwells in us. And if we'll obey him and trust him, he'll give us the power to live a victorious life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the Lord is looking and he's watching. And he's inspecting the fruit, if you will. I wonder 
does he see in your life goodness? Are you doing the things that are good? Can he look at you and say, very tobe. Very tobe. Very good. That's what Jesus did to these who came to be judged by him in that parable. Well done, good and faithful servant. All of us someday will have to give an account for how we've lived. Yes, the most important consideration is that we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. We've repented of our sins. That's the most important thing. But I'll tell you, in order to make that legitimate, we have to live like we've been told to live in the Bible. It matters how you live. Amen? It does. Remember this biblical lesson that God created everything tobe, good. And then everything turned not good because of sin. And now he's provided a way that we can be taken from not good back to good and stand before him righteous and holy. It requires the blood of the Son of God. And it requires the fullness of the Spirit of God, which brings life transformation and change. I'm talking lasting change. Visible change. Positive change. Supernatural change. Good change. Tobe change. Which God expects to see in us. In closing, I'd just like to bring to your awareness that most people think the most important aspect of the gospel is that it provides for us entrance into heaven when we die. And we fail to understand that probably as important, maybe more so in God's eyes, is the fact that God wants to bring heaven into us while we live here on this earth. We need to learn to live right. We need to learn to adhere to the teachings of Scripture. We need to learn to quit yielding to the world and letting them dictate how we live and what we do. Come out from among them, the Bible says, and be separate. We're to be a sanctified people, a set-apart people, yeah, we're supposed to do things a little differently and look a little differently and act a little differently than the world does. One question for you as we get ready to close in song. Is he your Lord? Oh, yeah, yeah, he's my Lord. No, wait a minute. Understand the word Lord. Is he your Savior? Maybe so. If you've asked him to be, if you've asked him for forgiveness... The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if with a sincere heart you ask the Lord to forgive you of your sin, he will do that. But that is not the end, my friends. That is just the beginning of your relationship with Christ. Then there comes this period that you realize you grow up now and you make him not only your Savior, but you make him your Lord. That means you do what he says. Go through the Old Testament. Lord means that. It means you do what he says. He, he has the right to dictate to you what you do. So you do it the way he wants it done. 
So, is He your Lord? Not just your Savior, but your Lord. That means you're obedient to Him. And you do what His Word teaches. Pastor, are you trying to make us feel guilty because we're not doing what we're... No, I'm not doing that at all. I'm simply telling you that we have a responsibility to live according to the Word of God. And we cannot excuse known sin in our lives. And then perpetually do so and then claim that we're... we're to look at these lists that we just looked at, it just amazes me. How far Americans have drifted away from scriptural principles. That you can do anything, believe anything. And still claim to be a Christian. And there will be some church and some pastor that will say, you're on the right track. No, there was a whole lot of people here. Jesus said we're on the wrong track. They thought they were on the right track. And he looked at them and said, no. I never knew you. So I would suggest to all of us here today, yes, that we pray that prayer of repentance and we ask Jesus to forgive us our sins, but then we understand that we're obligated because the price he paid was so great. He died for us. The least we can do is live for him and keep his commandments. And then one day we'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. Will you make mistakes from time to time? Yes. We're not talking about somebody that's, that's never going to make a mistake. We're talking about not being the type of people who practice sin all the time. He is Lord. He is Lord. He has risen from the dead and He is Lord. given an invitation for everybody in the building to come forward this will not be i'm not saying if you if you want to receive jesus as your savior come and there be one or two certainly i want you to come if you need to repent of your sin but as we sing this i wonder if we could all just come and stand at the altar before him or kneel if you like and we're going to sing now you're my lord you're my Lord. And we don't want to sing it falsely. We want to sing it because we mean it in our hearts. If you would, let's join together. If you can say this, Lord, I really want you to be my Lord. Not just my Savior, forgiving me for my sins. But I want you to be in control of my life. And I want to live my life in a way that's pleasing in your sight. So that one day you will say to me, well done. 
good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. Let's sing this as a prayer and a testimony to Him. You're my Lord. Blessed be your name. We love you, Lord. You're my Lord. You're my Lord. You have risen from the dead. giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free and if you're here today and you haven't done that right as we're singing you could simply say Lord Jesus I know I have sinned I know I need to be forgiven I know I need to be saved and I want you to do that for me Lord today And the Bible says, if you'll do that from the heart and mean it, just that simple prayer. Again, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So do it while we pray, would you? I thank you, Lord, for saving.
Okay, as we pause now, I just wonder if there's anybody here that uh, prayed to accept the Lord Jesus into your heart. You just acknowledged before the Lord that you were a sinner, you needed to be saved, and you just want to lift your hand and say, that was me today, Pastor, I did that. I just want you to know, the Lord has forgiven me of my sins. Anybody? Anybody? Well, we have a whole bunch who said you wanted to be uh, wanted Jesus to be your Lord and we are thankful for that today Lord we bless your name we give you praise we thank you for the response of your people who have come today Lord help us make a, uh, ourselves more aware Lord of what you want us to be how you want us to live where you want us to go the things we should do the things we should not do because the Spirit of God wants to produce in us goodness. Help people to see that goodness. We pray in Jesus' name. Blessed be your name. Would you join with me now? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Can you believe what the Lord has done? 